Well, today is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. And, uh, you know, um, mothers are amazing people, aren't they? I'm sure if we stopped and had open mic time, uh, we would be here through the evening and overnight as all of you uh, tried to convince everybody that your mom is the one who deserves the award for World's Greatest Mom. I got one amen on that. Really? So maybe we won't be here as long as I thought, right? But uh, yeah, I know we would be, right? Everybody's mom is the world's greatest mom. You know, even though moms aren't perfect, right? But uh, they're still amazing people. There's no one like your mom. And, uh, you know, they're also not only amazing, but moms are some of the most talented people that you could ever meet. Uh, you know, they do 25 or 30 jobs. I made a list this week, kind of just kind of some of the jobs that moms do. Um, they're a teacher. They're a coach. They're a cheerleader a lifeguard, a daycare worker, a chef, a housekeeper, a seamstress, a nurse, a laundry attendant, a psychologist, and a family counselor, a judge, a mediator, and an arbitrator, hairstylist, personal assistant, computer tech, finance manager, facilities coordinator, janitor, landscaper, chauffeur, household CEO, vacation coordinator and tour guide. In addition to all of that, she's a boo-boo fixer. She's a scary monster patrol officer and a hugs and kisses expert. <laughs> all right, she's super mom, right? And I probably didn't mention half of the jobs that moms do. Moms are amazingly talented people, right? They're also some of the most observant people. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but your mom is an observant person, right? They can see you when they're not looking at you. I, I can remember as a, as, a, as a young child, you know, being in one room and my mom was in the other room. And I'm thinking about having a cookie. I'm not acting on it. I'm only thinking about it. And my mom would say, Paul, don't you think about having a cookie before supper. Right, and I'm thinking, did, did I say anything? Did I do anything? She says, I know what you were thinking. You know, some people say moms have eyes in the back of their heads. My mom had eyes all over the house. <laughs> they know what you did without even seeing you do it. And if you've got a praying mom that God is talking to, I mean, you just might as well confess everything you did. Because God's telling her what you did, right? And my goodness, if you've got a prayer warrior mom, you might as just well as confess everything you're thinking about doing as well because you know she's going to be all over that as well because God's telling her what you're thinking. Moms are very observant people. They know everything that's going on in the house, right? They know who's taking their vitamins. They know when you fed your vegetables to the dog under the table. They know who has what rehearsal and what practice and what concert and what game at what time and, and when that's all happening. And, and she knows how to get each kid to each one of those events dressed and on time. She knows who has a doctor's appointment or a dentist's appointment. She knows and understands who said what to who that's making her teenage daughter so upset. Right? And, uh, and she knows which creepy boys to keep her teenage daughter away from. Seems like dads, on the other hand, are sometimes kind of vaguely aware of some smallish people who are living in his house and eating his food. 
But moms know, now I hope, I hope if you're a dad, you're a little bit more engaged than that, all right? Christian dads should be more engaged than that. But, uh, but moms know everything that's going on. You know, my, my girls, Emily and Melody, um, they used to think that, that, that Jill worked for the CIA, because she knew stuff that, I mean, nobody is supposed to know. I mean, one time, I remember Emily calling me uh, from, from, from college in Florida, and she was in uh, a lesson with her piano instructor, and uh, he, she happened to say something to, to him that, uh, that Jill had said, something about somebody getting some position at the college, I think, or something like that. And the piano instructor, who was the head of the music faculty, um, said, how do you know that? That's not even public knowledge. My mom told me, well, how does your mom know that in Pennsylvania? That's not even public knowledge. She said, I don't know. You know so, but she, she knew about it. In case you're wondering, she doesn't work for the CIA. Um, I mean, that I know of. <laughs> anyway, moms are amazing people. So that's why this morning we want to honor mothers among us. We're going to take a, a little break from our six-part series on love, grow, and serve. And we're going to honor mothers among us to look at some ideas from the Bible about how God views mothers. But I would also like to expand my thoughts this morning to include not just mothers, but wives and other women in our lives as well. So the morning's message is entitled, The Tremendous Value of a Mom and the Other Women in Your Life. And so... Uh, if you're a mom or a grandma, I hope that God's word will bring you a sense of value this morning. I hope that you will get a sense that all of the things you do and the role that you fill has value in God's eyes. And that all of the big sacrifices you make and all of the little, uh, sometimes unseen acts of service are of tremendous value to God and your family as well. And if you have a mom, I hope this message encourages you to honor her, to express uh, your love for her regularly. And, uh, and so we're going to look at the tremendous value of a mom and the other woman in your life. Now, um, would you just bow for a moment and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings to us, God. I do pray for all of the moms who are here, your tremendous blessing and grace and goodness on them this morning, God. I know sometimes, God, moms deal with guilt and feelings of inadequacy, God. But I pray that this morning, there would be such a sense of value, God, that would come into their hearts and into their minds and into their spirits, God, as we honor them today. Show us things from your word, God. We pray that that will lift us up and build us up, God, and help us honor moms and the other women in our lives today. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right. Uh, so today, we're going to be looking at some verses from uh, a few chapters in the book of Genesis. So if you want to turn there. Let me give you a little bit of a background uh, uh, to where we're going. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 1. And as you, as, as you come across the book of Genesis, what you find is all of a sudden, God is, God is really, really busy. Have you ever read a book that starts slow? Well, this book doesn't start slow. I mean, this book starts with God creating like hundreds of millions of stars. I mean, all in a breath, you know, this big, huge whirlwind of activity. God is throwing millions and hundreds of millions of stars into place, and it says he's calling each one by name. And then it says he creates the, creates the earth and everything in it, all of the vegetation, all of the, the living animals, all of the elements and the natural resources that we can use. It's an it, it's a, a activity, God just being really busy. And, uh, and even uh, at the end of that, he even took time to plant a garden. I mean, that's always been amazing to me, that in the, at the end of all of that activity, God takes this time to, to plant a garden. 
And uh, have you ever seen a botanical garden? A, a few years ago, Jill and I and the girls were in Nashville, and so we went to see the Nashville Botanical Garden. The thing that struck me is this. If human gardeners can make a garden this beautiful, can you imagine what the garden that God planted looked like? You know, I don't know for certain, but I'm sure there wasn't a mosquito in the entire place. And then after everything was all ready and just perfect, God creates a man. And his name was Adam, right? And God put Adam in the garden to work it. And so from the beginning, we see that Adam is a worker. He's not afraid to work hard for his living. And then also, all the animals came to him, and he named them all. And so we see that Adam is industrious, and he's creative. And, but there's something that was not quite right. Something was still missing. So God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. But of all the animals that God had created, there was no suitable companion for him. So God said, I will make a helper suitable for him, or compatible to him, or corresponding to him, one that is like him. None of the animals was compatible or corresponded to him. So God is going to make someone who is suitable for him. So God does something awesome. He creates a woman. And in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. All right, now this is the first blind date. I'll bet you never thought of God as a matchmaker before, right? But uh, God set Adam and Eve up on a blind date. And not only was it a blind date, but it was also their wedding. How would you like that? It was the first arranged marriage. It was also the first recorded instance of love at first sight. This is a whirlwind now of breathtaking activity here that God is orchestrating. You know, sometimes in your life, you know how sometimes you need to be patient with God? Sometimes we feel like we're always out ahead of God. We want God to work quickly, but, but God's got his own timetable. And we preach messages on that, right? You know, you just got to wait for God's time. You know, in God's time, he's going to bring the thing about, you know, you just be patient and you keep having faith and holding on. You know, sometimes God works slowly in our lives, right? But then there are other times when God works quickly. And this is one of those times when God is doing a lot of breathtaking things really quickly. Uh, you know, so what would you think if you woke up, you know, and God said to you, hey, get ready. There's someone great I want you to meet, and after you meet, you're getting married today. Well, but that's what go is going on here. God wakes Adam up and says, hey, there's someone you got to meet. She's perfect for you. All right, and, uh, and after you meet, you're going to uh, get married. You're going to love her. And, and so God presents Eve to Adam. And this is the first record of a bride being given away in marriage. There's a lot of firsts here. And Adam responds by saying a couple things. These are the things he said. First he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then also it says that Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Okay, so there's a few ideas that I want you to take away from this this morning. But just before I get to those ideas, I want you to see from Adam's response that there were three things that he saw Eve as. First, She's a woman. Second, she's a wife. And third, she's a mother. 
And so during this sermon, I may at various times reference motherhood or, or marriage or simply womanhood, but whatever stage of life you are in, please apply these things to yourself. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And, and if you're none of those things, but you have a mother or a wife or some other woman in your life, well, God wants to speak to you as well. All right, so keep your hearts open. Here we go. The main point this morning, if you're taking notes, these, there are a few ideas that I get from these verses today. The first is that Eve was a gift. The woman was a gift. Women, wives, mothers are gifts from God. Adam recognized Eve was a gift from God. He recognized something of great value in her. Look at his words again. You can tell from his response that he's reacting differently than he did with the animals. I get the image that when God was bringing all the animals to Adam for him to name, that it was kind of routine. I mean, uh, he, he may have had some fun even, but I don't think there was much of an emotional response when God brought a cow to Adam. I get the idea that it maybe went something more like this. You know, God showed him a cow, and he went, oh, cow, can I eat it? And uh, God says, no, you can't eat it. And so God brings him another animal. And, it, and he goes, um, um, chicken, can I eat it? And God says, no, you can't eat it. And so um, God shows him another animal. He says, um, moose, can I eat it? And God says, I mean, come on. Isn't that what most of guys would be saying? I know it's not written there, but it's a kind of sanctified imagination. All right? It's what I would have said. If it were me, all right? And, uh, and we know that God said, you know, you can't eat any of these things right now. Uh, you, you're just going to eat what comes from the ground, all right? Except for that fruit in the tree in the middle, you know, eat anything else that comes from the ground. Just don't eat from the tree in the middle, right? And so, all right, so the, God brings him the next thing. He says, orangutan. But what we do know is true is that when God brings Eve to Adam, it looks like his response is different from when he brought all the animals to Adam. He doesn't just name her whatever comes to mind. He makes an observation. He says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And I don't think that this was simply a scientific observation. It wasn't just some dispassionate biological observation. Adam immediately sees something of value. He notices her. Ladies, how many times do you feel like you just wish that the, the men in you, your lives would just notice you? Right? I mean, you changed your hair. Maybe he should notice, right? You cleaned the house. You made everybody's favorite meal. You know, maybe they should notice. Or everybody's laundry is done. Everybody is fed. Everybody has clothes that fit. You know, it would be nice if somebody noticed, right? I don't know what it is about guys, but we have a problem with this noticing thing. <laughs> the most feared sentence for every man is, do you notice something different about me? Right? Because uh, right in that instant, we look like a deer in the headlights. Because we know we're about to get hit and it's going to hurt, but we're not quite sure what to do about it. Right? So we're, sh we're shooting up flare prayers. Oh, God, help me. In the next two seconds, show me what is different. 
What am I supposed to see? But it's already too late because we got that stupid look on our face, right? Like, <laughs> we didn't notice. You know what? I think that might be part of the fall. I, I really do because here Adam noticed her. We don't notice anymore, but Adam noticed her. As soon as he saw Eve, he noticed her, and he saw her. He saw her tremendous value. He recognized her as a gift from God. There's the, and there's something different about this response. I think it's an emotional observation. It's a relational observation. I think Adam is moved. This one, this one is like me. This one is suitable for me. This one can have a relationship with me. I, I think he recognizes that God has brought him a tremendous gift. Adam notices her. And, and so he says that she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He doesn't just whimsically name her something else or whatever pops into his head. Since she was taken and created from him, so the name is taken from him as well. He is known as man, and so she would be known as woman. Now, there are some really cool things uh, and insights that we can get as we look at the words that are used here for man and woman in the first couple chapters of the book of Genesis. So, how many of you already know that the word Adam in the Bible and in the book of Genesis is actually the word for man? How many of you, maybe somewhere along the line, somewhere um, have heard some preacher somewhere uh, mention that before? Okay, maybe a couple of you, all right, a few of you. Uh, the word for man is Adam. And so in Genesis 1.26, when God says, let us make man uh, in our own image, the word is Adam. And so the word Adam is used in the Old Testament uh, most often used in the sense of referring to all of humanity uh, and is often translated as humanity or mankind. And you can get a sense of that from the very next verse, in verse 27, where God goes on to say, God created mankind, or Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Adam is usually has the broader meaning in view. But what you probably don't know is that there's another Hebrew word that is also translated as man in the Hebrew Bible. And the word is ish. I'll say that with me. Ish. Now you learned a new Hebrew word. Ish. And, the word, and this word always refers to an individual man. It always means a man in the sense of maleness or masculinity. It doesn't mean man in the sense of mankind. Uh, it means man in the sense of not a woman, but a man. Ish. Right? And so... The Hebrew word uh, for this, ish, right? That's right, ladies. The word for man is ish. All right, so if you've ever looked at your, your, your husband or your son and just kind of rolled your eyes and went, ish, well, you, you may not be that far off biblically, okay? <coughs> Next time you do that to your husband or son and it looks at you funny, just say, oh, no, I was just speaking Hebrew. <laughs> but don't get too excited here because... The word for woman is taken from the Hebrew word for man. So when Adam says that she shall be called woman, the word is isha, isha. And it's created by simply putting a Hebrew feminine ending on the word for man, isha. Now, now why am I telling you all of this? Because there's something very compelling and moving happening here. Adam is deeply moved, and he doesn't simply spout off something stupid or fun. The first thing that comes to his mind when he sees the woman is Isha. It's as though he's saying, you are just like me, only feminine. You're the same as me, only feminine. He's saying, we are made for each other, and it's not some cheesy pickup line. In one sense, it's like Adam is testifying to God's success 
in making the woman. He's saying God was successful in making someone suitable for him. God was successful in making someone compatible for him. She's Isha. And at the same time, it's like he's validating and praising her as well. It's like he, his response to seeing her is, you're special. You're worthy. You're valuable. You should be cherished. You are way better than that orangutan. You complete me. You're what I was lacking. Where have you been all my life, right? She's Isha. And if all of you, all of you ladies had been there looking on, you would have all been like, oh, he's so sweet. Oh, he's so romantic, isn't he? And, and if you could have been invited uh, to the wedding, you'd all be crying because she got the perfect guy. He's strong. He's masculine. He's a hard worker. He worked the garden. He's industrious. He named the animals. And yet he's sweet, he's kind, he's thoughtful, he notices things. At the time, he was the world's first and only perfect guy. And he recognizes her as a gift. Can I stop and say something? Mothers in our lives are gifts from God. Wives in our lives are gifts from God. The women in our lives are gifts from God, and we should notice them. We should value them. We should treat them with honor and respect. If you're a Christian and you have a mother, please treat her as God's gift to you. If you're a Christian and you have a wife, please recognize her and treat her as God's gift to you. If you're a Christian and there are women in your life, recognize the gift that they are and treat them with the dignity and honor and respect that God intends. Paul was driving at this when he told Timothy, treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. As far as God is concerned, women should be treated with kindness, respect, honor, and purity. A mother, a wife, a woman is a gift from God. And then secondly, if you're taking notes, here's your second note. She was intended by God to be a civilizing force in the world. She was intended by God to be a civilizing force in the world. Right? So notice the way that God created her. It's a little bit different from what he did with everything else. It says, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. When God created her, she was doubly refined. Adam was taken from the earth. He was dust refined. She was one step further from the earth. Adam was made directly from the dust. The woman was made by God taking a part of Adam and forming her from it. She's one step further from the earth. Now, why would God do this? I mean, why not simply create her directly from the dust? I mean, he could have done that if he had wanted to, but he chose not to. And I think that God is implying that this one is just a little bit more refined. It's like humanity 2.0. She's cleaner. She's prettier. She smells nicer. She's more polite. She's more refined. And I think that God intended this. Have you ever noticed who it is in the family uh, who, who is the force that is keeping the whole family from becoming a bunch of uncouth slobs? I mean, who's usually doing that? Right? It's usually mom, right? I mean, if your dinner time is not a burp fest, probably mom has something to do with that. If everyone's washing their hands before you eat, if everyone's saying please and thank you, probably mom has something to do with that. If everyone's dressed nice, and wearing nice clothes, and you're not wearing the same outfit for the third week in a row. It's probably because mom has something to do with it. 
And if your dad is contributing too, it's probably because his mom had an effect on him. Mom had something to do with it. Mom has a civilizing effect on the family, and then by extension, the society as well. And I think this was God's intent the entire time. So if you've ever been tempted to complain about the civilizing influence of your mother or the civilizing influence of your wife or the civilizing influence of the other women in your life, just stop for a minute and consider for a minute that this is the way that God created them, the way that God designed them to be. Look at the scripture again. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. All the animals created from the dust. Adam was created from the dust. But Eve fashioned from a rib taken from Adam. Look at the word made. The Lord God made a woman. The Hebrew word there is bana. It means built. And this is the only time in the Bible that this word is used to describe the creation of a living being. It's a word that's usually used to describe the construction of buildings such as temples. But here God is building a woman, and this implies intricacy. You know, if you've ever wondered, guys, why the women in your life seem so complex, um, I think God intended it, that, intended it that way, right? Because he's building her. He's designing her. And the image you get is that God is going all out on this. And the, uh, the stars and the planets and the elements, he just spoke them into being, and there they were. The animals, it says that God formed them out of the dust of the ground. And with Adam, it says that God formed him from the dust, and then he did something special, right? He, he breathed the breath of life into him, and he became a living spirit. But now here, God wasn't finished creating man or Adam. It says that it's like God is going into overdrive. He's building a woman. And the image I get is that this is really intense. If you were an, an angel kind of just looking on in this, uh, you would see God really intense at building this woman. This is the last thing that he's creating. Everything else is done. He's building a woman. And this word, word banah, to build, is often used in the Old Testament for the idea of completing an unfinished structure. So it's like God is saying, humanity is incomplete without this. Adam is incomplete without this. This woman completes everything. Now it's perfect. And that's the last time God created anything new. I mean, there are times when God does creative miracles, right? He does some creative miracle, heals the bone, or, 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 or heals, does some healing like that, a creative miracle. But he hasn't made any new creation since creating the woman. There's nothing better to create. This completes the entire project. All right, now, man, imagine with me for a minute what life would be like without women. If God hadn't created women, what would life be like? And I know that some of you thinking, are thinking, wow, that would just be totally awesome because it would just be sports all the time and playing in the dirt all the time and eating nothing but meat and potatoes and junk food all the time. But when you think about it, it wouldn't take very long until life became miserable. I mean, everybody would be lying around sick, holding their bellies because they've eaten nothing but Doritos for two weeks straight. Life would be miserable without moms, without wives, without sisters. Everyone would be sick. Everyone would get gross and disgusting. It would be awful. But God put mothers in our lives, wives in our lives, put women in our lives to make our lives and society more civilized, more beautiful, more bearable. God intended the woman to be a civilizing influence on the family and the culture. And then thirdly, last point, 
God intended her to stand next to the man so that they could together fulfill the plan of God in the world. God intended her to stand next to the man so that they could together fulfill the plan of God in the world. When God decided to create a woman, notice from where she was taken. He took a rib. She was taken from his side. And I think that God is implying some things here as well. Because he could have taken anything. He could have taken some skin from a hand or a foot. He could have taken some hair. But notice, she wasn't taken from his head to imply that she should dominate him. And she wasn't taken from his feet to imply that she should be trampled on by him. But she was taken from his side, implying that she was to be next to him. She was taken from under his arm, implying that she should be protected by him. And taken from near his heart, implying that she is to be loved. She is someone that Adam can love. And the idea is that she is supposed to be next to him. The idea is that together, men and women fulfill God's plan in the earth. It's not just women, right? It's not just men. It's not supposed to be a fight. It's not supposed to be, you know, a battle of the sexes. It's together we fulfill God's plan. Side by side, we fulfill God's purposes in the earth. We stand next to each other before God. And so by way of conclusion, I just have a couple of thoughts for you. You know, what we've described today is kind of an idyllic situation, right? It's, it's life as God intended it to be. We see here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 a picture of a perfect man and a perfect woman and a perfect relationship, but something happened along the way. Genesis 3 happened. There was, there was a fall. Adam and Eve sinned, and we see immediately that it had a profound effect on their relationship with God. We see them hiding from God. They're separated from God because of sin. We see them cast from the presence of God. We see death enter the world. But what is sometimes overlooked is that there was also another relationship that was damaged because of sin. It was the relationship between Adam and Eve. God asked Adam why he disobeyed, and immediately um, Adam blamed Eve. He said, the woman you gave me made me do it. <laughs> that was a big mistake. I mean, just threw her right under the bus. Can you imagine the look on Eve's face in that moment? I mean, ladies, do you remember the first time you realized your knight's shining armor wasn't so shiny? Right? The first time you saw a chink in that armor, you know, and you said, my goodness, I never saw that before. All of a sudden, Adam has a flaw. I got to tell you, there was going to be a conversation about healing when they got home that night. Right? It had a profound effect on their relationship. It was damaged. And there was also a profound effect on the relationship between men and women throughout history. God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. You know, the way most interpreters understand this verse is that God is saying, Eve, your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. And the idea of this verse is that as a result of sin, there's going to be some friction between men and women. There's going to be some problems. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some dysfunction, some abuses of roles. 
And now we shouldn't understand this verse either as God imposing this on the human race as a punishment or a vengeance. It's not God causing all the pain. It's not God causing dysfunction or abuse. Um, but instead, this verse should be understood as God's observation of what is going to happen as a result of sin in the world. Sin causes problems in relationships. And so God is saying, because of this sin, this is what's going to happen. And we've seen this unfold throughout history. Many instances and cultures throughout history where women have been treated in ways that God never intended. Sometimes treated as properties. Sometimes treated abusively in entire cultures. And we can see it in headlines in our own culture. Women being abused or mistreated. We see headlines about sex trafficking and even here inside the United States. And we see headlines where people in positions of power abuse their positions to take advantage of women. And to be sure, there are occasions when, and stories of instances when women devalued men as well or mistreated men as well. And you can even see it sometimes displayed in the Old Testament. And, and some people mistaken, mistake that or get the impression that the Bible teaches these things or validates these things. How many of you have ever heard, heard someone say that, you know, make some accusation that, you know, Christianity or the Bible, you know, teaches some type of, um, uh, uh, you know, male dominance and uh, justification of abuse, right? But the problem is, is that it's a misunderstanding of the scripture. Sometimes the Bible um, honestly shares things that were happening, right? But God's ideal is found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, before the fall. We mistake to interpret all these other things that we see as God's ideal. There was a fall and it damaged God's ideal, God's design for relationship between men and women. But God did something else. 2,000 years ago, there was also a cross. It was a remedy. It was an answer to the sin problem. It provided a fix for the broken relationship between God and people. And so Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and then died on the cross as payment for the sins of every human being. And it was more than just a legal transformation. It was um, God saying, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God gives us power to stop living according to the old sinful way of life and to begin living life the way that he intends it to be. And so those who come to Christ with repentance and faith are redeemed, and as redeemed people begin to live life more and more as God intended it to be, to begin to live life according to God's design. And one of the ways that becomes evident is in, is in the honor, the value, and respect that the body of Christ treats mothers and treats wives and treats women. The church has been and should be the place where women are the most cherished, respected, and valued in the culture. So now would you all just please bow your heads with me? And by way of response this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond to God, respond to the word. And uh, uh, if you're away from Jesus, if you're not walking with Jesus this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to begin a relationship with him. You know, if you're not serving him, if, you're, if you've never come to him before, if you've never had a saving relationship with Jesus, or if you had a relationship with Jesus but you've walked away and you really haven't been serving him, really haven't been, been following him, but you know you need to, can I tell you, it's as simple as ABC. Admit your need. Admit your sin. Admit that you can't save yourself. And then believe that Jesus 
is your Savior. Believe that Jesus died for you. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for you. And then confess him as your Lord. Confess him as your Savior. Make him the Lord of your life. Give him control. Admit, believe, confess. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed,